Okay. Welcome to Launching Life at 60, a podcast about women in their 60s who are embarking on a big transition in their life to follow their passion and their heart's desires. I'm Nobuko, your host, who's trying to do precisely that at the age of 63, trying to become an inspiring and empowering A-level economics teacher. And my guest today is Barbara Hausman, the voice and acting coach extraordinaire, a lady I've held in a, with a huge respect for over 10 years when I first read her book, Finding Your Voice. She's a go-to coach to top Shakespearean actors, including Kenneth Branagh, Hollywood stars such as Jude Law and Daniel Radcliffe, and even to top opera singers. And she's also a theatre director, most notably as associate director at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. And these days, a visiting lecturer at the University of Tennessee and Connecticut. And there's more to, more to her. She's the author, as I said, of two important books on acting, Finding Your Voice and Tackling Text. So Barbara, welcome to my show. It's a huge privilege and a pleasure to be interviewing you. <laughs> Thank you. It's, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Well, obviously, I'd like to ask you about the big transition that you're going mm -hmm. through now, embarking on an adventure. But, um, and before we do that, can I take you back to your childhood when you were yep. five? Yes. And was sent to Mrs. Melanie. Yeah, Mrs. An elocution teacher. El was, Melanie, is it? Uh, Mrs. Melini. Melini. Her, her husband was Russian, which was very exotic when I was five. Um, and uh, yeah, my mother had met her a few years earlier on a train and uh, she 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 wanted me to be more confident she that was really why she sent me uh it was supposedly elocution lessons but it, it was it, it was sort of drama acting all that kind of thing and saying poems you know at five yes i started when i was five the first poem i ever learnt was um the listeners by walter de la mer <laughs> And um, Shakespeare? Yes, I was nine when I did Puck, I think, for a competition or a festival, I don't remember. We used to do uh, uh, exams twice a year, and we also used to compete in all the local festivals. And so it was everything. It was like a Shakespeare piece, a modern piece, duologues, Bible reading, sight reading, re poetry recitals, everything, really. And was it common for children have elocution lessons in those days yes I think it was very very common actually um I, I it, it it preceded you know what we have now which the uh, the stagecoach uh you know these, these these things like that on a Saturday afternoon or morning and I actually talked taught at one a bit like that when I first left college um and I think you know they're they're, they're, they're superb for allowing um young people to develop because it, it's not just about being an actor it's about great gaining more confidence but but in those days I think it was much more um that you went to somebody who that they were often called elocution teachers although they were also doing drama and I had private lessons and I also had group lessons so I went with uh and and actually one of the people she wasn't in our class um 
Well, actually, Frances de la Tour, who's quite a well-known actress, had been, um, well, very well-known actress, had been taught by my teacher several years previous, prior. Um, and Nika Burns, who is now a top theatre producer, uh, was I was she wasn't in our theatre group, but she 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 was I would see her at competitions. Um, so, yeah, so. And she was no ordinary teacher. She was a teacher from the Central School of Drama and Speech, which is in a premier drama school. Central School of Speech and Drama. Yes, she was. And um, she had trained under Elsie Fogarty, who started the school. Um, uh, when it was at the Albert Hall. So, uh, yes, I mean, it, it, I, I'm very privileged to have a very long um, kind of line back um, uh, to, to, to through through, through um, my teacher to to Elsie Fogarty and then through the privilege of working with uh, uh, Cicely Berry at the RSC, um, uh, who... who, who Cicely was at, at Central um, when Gwyneth Furburn was principal and Gwyneth took over from Elsie Fogarty. So, yes, it was a long line of formidable women. And uh, did, did she teach you actually how to speak? Um, I mean, to speak yes. standard English? It was embarrassing, that... embarrassingly, yes. Um, it's quite embarrassing. <laughs> I sort of know the whole of How Now, Brown Cow, not just the first line. And yes, you know, there were things like uh, Susan Drew had two blue shoes and, and all that kind of thing that I, we, we, I think we would uh, kind of slightly throw our hands up in horror at. Um, but, you, and, you know, some of the voice work I now realize was, was, mm, it, it, it was, it was old fashioned. We did things like rib reserve, which, you know, now is not seen as a very useful way forward. Um, where she was brilliant and it took me until I was into my 30s to realize the kind of um, legacy she had given me was, was, was on, on the text side. I mean, I, I was just swimming in all the, the, you know, in all this poetry and all this Shakespeare and sight reading and, and duologues. And so I, 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 that, that was where the real, the real wealth came from, I think, was from the text work more than the voice work. And did you immediately connect with Shakespeare? Did you did you have no hesitation, no blockages about Shakespeare? I, I think when you're nine, there's so so much you might be reading that you don't understand that it doesn't. You don't really. I I don't I don't remember. It was just another piece of text that I was doing. You know, I <sighs> I just loved the words, and um, it's it's interesting because I I didn't like. English literature at school I thought you know the best way to ruin a poem or a play or a novel was to have to write about it um but I loved I, I just I, I loved words um I think my main love then was much more poetry so I suppose it was the poetry of Shakespeare I, I don't remember I mean Shakespeare was it was just another thing I was doing so uh, yeah it was just there I it's strange and I think it, it, it is what's led me to I think I mean I love Shakespeare but I mean now I love it for different reasons from then then I love the language now I love it because of his deep humanity that's what I love about Shakespeare where do you see that the most what you mean in what play yeah, or lines, or I don't know. No, I mean, I, for his, him, for me, 
the deep humanities and all the place you know he he doesn't judge he you know that the so-called mm, bad characters have always if you plot through you see that there's kind of reasons for that that they're never just one-sided he he has a deep sense of human beings I that, that for me is timeless and I, I I you know that's why I think he's remained performed not because of the language which is undoubtedly beautiful and brilliant his use of language is brilliant but I think if he hadn't teamed that with a deep understanding of humanity I don't think we'd be as interested in it I think it's the you know and I and one of the joys is is is, is with students um at, at and when I'm working on shows professionally, but but more with younger students, is getting them to see that these the situations in the play, although they may seem remote, are actually totally relevant to their lives now. You know, these are these are human predicaments that are still occurring. Um, and you know what I love about Shakespeare, as I do about Chekhov, is 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 that they don't judge. I think they ask more questions and they give answers, I think. And I I love the humanity and the, non, the non-judgment of the work. It's then it's a bit ironic, isn't it? That, um, that kind of um, Shakespeare's kind of put on the pedestal mm. and it seems that only even actors with you know, perfect um, voice and accents uh, have the justice to to play that? I know. I think that's. I mean, that was so. That was so. That is. That isn't any longer so. I don't think at all. And I mean, we. I worked. I was privileged to work on uh, uh, Philida Lloyd's um, all female Shakespeare's that we did at the Donmar, and we started that in about. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was. It was either two thousand and twelve or two thousand and fourteen. I don't remember. But we did three plays, and uh, we did uh, Julius Caesar. Henry the Fourth and the Tempest, and everyone used their own accents. And I think the only person who spoke standard English was Harriet Walter, <laughs> and she she wants to use a different accent, and we're like, no, you can't because that is your birth accent, and everyone is going to use their birth accent. And if 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 they were playing two that characters, then they would choose a familial accent. Like I remember, there was a young actress called Zainab, who her her accent was basically South London, or, or London accent, um, but. She, she I think came from Indian she had Indian heritage so one of when she was she had was playing two or three different characters and so one of them um she used the accent that she'd heard around her in her aunts and her her mother so we were very clear that people used their own accent or they used a familial accent um if they were playing two characters um and it was very successful. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Shakespeare never spoke standard English, so there's absolutely no cause or reason. It wasn't written in that. That's not what he'd have heard in his ear as he was writing it. Um, you know, Shakespeare is not the province of, uh, is not, you know, does not belong to standard English any more than it belongs to the academics. You know, it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to human beings so it's okay to do it's possible to do iambic pentameter yeah with a japanese accent or um yeah i mean you know there, there may be iambic pentameter is isn't about sound iambic pentameter is about um 
the rhythm. The, okay. uh, it's a rhythm, a, a five titum rhythm, titum, 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 um, which at the time that, 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 that Marlowe and uh, Christopher Marlowe and then uh, first adopted it and then Shakespeare uh, was really a kind of huge move towards naturalism. It was much closer to English speech. So I suppose the only issue might be if it's being done by speakers of another language that has a very different rhythmic pattern. Um, but, but you know, the rhythmic pattern can be learned and you certainly can do it in any accent. I mean, uh, you know, and it's often also translated, but uh, um, yeah, there's no accent, there's, no, there's nobody in the world who speaks English, whatever accent they have that can't, can't, speak, can't speak Shakespeare well if they wish to. Because it's, it, it's to do with connecting with the situation and the language, owning the language as your own as a human being. Mm, that's great. I mean, so we might see a play, Shakespearean play in the West End, with people speaking with different accents. Oh, yes. I mean, it happens already. It happens. Oh, I saw I'm really behind then. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's certainly what we did with the all-female Shakespeare. Everyone just used their own accent. So, um, and it works because actually it has a greater authenticity. Um, and, and, and I mean, it was already happening, but I think Philida really trailblazed in a way. And it, and, but it's happening much more now. It's happening much, much more. But um, you... I mean, you, you've been you've been a voice coach to people of all walks of life and top actors, and basically, your fundamental philosophy, as I understand it, is that um, voice is only an expression of your inner being. Yes, I mean, obviously, there is technical work to be done um, to, to to build a voice to its or, or to develop a voice to its full potential, but unless um, we have anatomical issues when we're born or through an accident. Everyone can can have a, um, you know, can develop their voice and fulfill their vocal potential. And even if I, I have an amazing client, she's a writer, an actress who has cerebral palsy. Um, and we, we've gone on to develop her voice you know, um, she's she's done amazingly, and um, you know, it, that the only limits are really people's willingness to, to 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 practice what they need to practice to get to their voice to its full potential. Um, so there are technical things that you, you know you could call them technical, but basically they're they're just it's like can I get the body to work in the way the body was designed? and then build the necessary hab habits for it to reach its full potential. So that's, that, that, that's obviously, that's developing the instrument. But once you've developed the instrument to its full potential, what you're playing on that instrument is the music of your thoughts and feelings. Um, and so, so you're wanting to connect to an authenticity and actually often people's voices have shut down because they felt shut down by other people, by people have criticized the way they sound or people have not liked what they were actually saying. You know, when we're growing up, sometimes family, sometimes at school, sometimes peers, you know, have shut us down 
intentionally or unintentionally, or we've had um, traumatic events that we, which are hard to feel. So we, we cut off from feeling um, and those can result in, in, in physical vocal difficulties. Um, so, so often when you're sorting out a, a voice physically, you're also getting people back in touch with their whole selves because you're getting them in touch with their breath. And, you know, we, we, we often tense the tongue, tense the jaw, tense the throat to censor or keep things in or even out, but mostly in. And so, yeah, it, it, it is, it, it, it is, there is, when you're releasing the voice, um, yes, you're releasing on many levels. And how do you help people at so many different levels? I mean, by treating everyone as an individual, absolutely everyone, and starting, first of all, you work out what they want. So I don't go into my work with an agenda about what I think people should have. I, I listen to what they want, and then I use the skill I have to help them get there. And because I had um, a lot of problems with my own voice, um, you know, the, the blessing of having problems is that you you learn a lot in the in the journey of solving your own problems, which you can then use with other people. Um, and because I've also had a lot of problems in terms of um, emotional issues, um, I had a mentally ill mother growing up, um, not her fault, um, but it led to a lot of issues for me. So again, I've done a lot of different coaching things to to help myself and and it's given me a wide range of skills with which to help others i suppose because i i kind of been there so i know what it's like and i know that you are a shiatsu practitioner well i don't practice i trained as a shiatsu as a healing shiatsu practitioner with a wonderful french lady who unfortunately is no longer alive called sonia morisot um in wales which is where she was living oh no well in, in Herefordshire, I should say, over this side of the border. Um, I don't practice, but it, it, it informed my work hugely um, in many ways. Do you use that on your I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do shiatsu as such for my clients, no, but um, it gave me a lot of confidence in sort of handling bodies, <laughs> you know, moving them if I need to. Um, and it also gave me a whole different perspective because I did a lot of meditation work with her as well. A whole different perspective on how you work with people, which is, you know, there's a whole thing in Shatsu that you're, you're diagnosing as you're working. You, you don't, you don't, you don't have to get all the diagnosis up front. And I feel it's the same with, with clients when I'm doing voice work, you're, you're kind of, as you work, you diagnose, you diagnose, you work. It's, it's, it's just a very, it's much more holistic way of working, I suppose. And you're working with the, in partnership with a client. Um, you know, my client is my partner. The client, the client has the wisdom about themselves. I have some wisdom about tools that have worked on a lot of people. And we put those two wisdoms together and we work in partnership. So it's not like expert and, you know, 
no, 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 no. Client in the way that you often get with it, which in the way that I you often get with doctors. I mean, I've had an issue. I mean, the NHS is wonderful, so one don't get me wrong about that. But consultants tend to teach, teach tend tend to forget that the body they're treating is yours, and that you might have some wisdom in input. You know, the minute they, so you know, my they keep going. Oh, your blood's gone up a bit. We're putting you back on step more steroids, and I'm like, no, you're not, because for two years before the blood test showed that there was anything wrong with me. I knew there was something wrong with me and you didn't listen. <laughs> and, I, and the blood tests are now showing that there may still be something wrong with me, but I am feeling much better. So it's my body. You know? <laughs> and it's not, I mean, one has to respect and have a lot of time for their um, knowledge and experience and not discount it. But there is sometimes a tendency not for them in that situation. I've noticed not for them to work in partnership with you. You know, the best doctors do, but um, I, you know, for me, it, it's um, I've noticed that I've noticed that I've had a lot of people have had that in them in the medical uh, arena that, 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 that um, there's a tendency not to see the patient as partnership partner. Um, and that can extend into other areas, into therapy and other things. And I, I, you know, I've had the same experience when I was doing therapy, where the therapist thought she knew better than I what was going on. And I, I I'm happy to open your insights, and I see where you're coming from. But actually, in this case, you are discounting my experience here. Um, so I, I feel very strongly when I'm working with clients that. Um, I never discount their experience. And I always, when I make offers, I say, you know, if this doesn't feel right, please don't take it on. You know, your, your wisdom will tell you if something is right for you or not. Yeah, yes, 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 yeah, yes. I mean, I mean in, in the few lessons that I've had, I, I've had a privilege to have. I really sense that. And, um, but this lady, the French lady, um, she had a retreat, didn't she? in um, Sonia Morisot, in the orchard, yeah. yeah. Is that where you got an idea for a retreat, which you are about to start in Yorkshire? That's a very good question. I don't know. I think certainly it's a little bit of a template. Uh, I think I'd already perhaps been away on weekend workshops and things like that. And I think, I suspect, rather like I knew when I was in my early 20s that I wanted to write a book, but I didn't write it till I was... Um, in my 40s, I think, I think there's always been something around about this, you know, um, probably even before working with Sonia. But certainly that was where I had the real um, experience of deeper retreats. Um, although I won't be doing, although, that, although my retreats will have a meditative and self-compassion aspect, they won't necessarily operate it with the same same way as hers um but yes it's been something I've returned to and returned to because when I lived in France when I was married you know I toyed with the idea of doing them then and that was in the 90s um and I think it's been growing and growing and growing so in the last few years I had begun to you know a friend of mine is building a retreat center in North Wales and a Spanish friend of mine sourced a hotel that I could use in the in the Pyrenees <laughs> before COVID. So I think I think even before I made a rather impetuous decision to move up here, um, yes, it was already around as a next stage. Um, 
but it, it, it it's one of those things that's just bubbled for years I think bubbled for years oh, that's interesting yeah 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 and so tell me about your new venture I mean it's a huge move after yeah. working nearly 40 years near the West End where yeah. you staged so many successful shows you helped mm. so many actors and actresses I mean they just have to hop on the train now and go to Yorkshire Yes, yes, I know. I'm going through a little period, which is a bit like, what have I done? Because I, at the moment, I can't find a house. I was just, before I came on, I was scrolling through going, well, could I live there? Because I'm trying to find a place that is kind of only half an hour from a station and only half an hour from the sea and near the moors. And I've discovered that there are loads of places around here, but they seem to be very near major roads. There's <laughs> traffic and I don't want to live near a major road. So um so I was looking at so because I'm I, I moved up here because I I don't know I had a mad weekend in October when I came to stay with a friend of mine who'd moved up to near where my brother lives um and I was inspired by her having moved and she's also building a, a retreat center diff, different kind of retreat center um and there was a house for sale two doors around from her so I had to look at that and then I saw this amazing house which is still for sale and I walked away from which is in the middle of the moors um and I just made I just kind of came back and put my house on the market <laughs> within a week it was we'd agreed a sale and I'd offered on this house and that had been accepted and 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 the, anyway I I had to walk away from that house I found another house and then I lost that house and so I'm now living at my brother's um and I it's difficult I really miss my friends I don't miss London and I will be working in London during this summer because I'm working on three shows down there. But um, I don't miss London, even though I lived in a beautiful house in East Dulwich, mm-hmm. which I loved. Um, but um, but I do miss my friends. And now that we're opening up after COVID, I really miss my friends because um, I mean, my brother's up here, and I my I you know my ex sister in law I went for a walk with her yesterday, and that was very lovely. And, and my nieces are up here, but they've all got lives of their own, obviously. Um, um, so at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, because I haven't got in a house and therefore I can't get to know neighbours or, or, and because things are closed down because of COVID, it, it, it's hard um, to start to make a community. But I'm sure that I, I just have to hold on. I just, you sure, know, sure, I, yeah, yeah. Most of the time I don't have, you know, I think about, about a week after I've been here, I had a kind of what the hell have you done? Um, but my brother said to me, well, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. That <laughs> <So laughs> I'm surprised it didn't happen half an hour after you'd got on the tr- train. Um, I'm having a little bout of it again at the moment, but I think, I know I've just got to hold on. I've just got and I'm you know I've there's a house I could buy that has a swimming pool and is a village where I could have community but but the the it's there's a b road running through the village and and there's lots of lorries and motorbikes and I'm like I haven't moved out of London to be on a road with motorbikes and lorries so at the minute I'm doing something which is not usual to me and I'm holding on because I in the past I, I I've kind of just given up on things and this time I'm determined not to, but I'm, it's not easy. It's, it's really scary and stressful. Um, the thing that's keeping me going is the, the, 
I moved up here because it was nearer my family and because I wanted to be near to nature. And it's 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 also um, my father comes from York, Yorkshire, which is about now uh, York, which is now south of where I am. But the Yorkshire Moors, we spent a lot of time on as children on them or driving across them to the sea. And so it it feels like a kind of home. And, and I think being able to go out and walk every day and see the moors is, is, is keeping me safe. That's what I moved. I moved for nature. I needed to be near to nature. And that's why I'm, I think my, I'm driving my family mad because I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I mean, I've seen so many houses and my family going, that's lovely. That's lovely. And I'm going, no, no, it's too near a road or no, 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 no. There's it's overlooked by a house. <laughs> No, 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 it's not near enough to walk. So I think then I'm driving them all slightly crazy. But um, I'm, you know, I'm lucky I'm staying at my brother's. I don't have to pay any rent. My stuff's in storage. Um, so I'm just going to see how long I can hold out for. <laughs> well, it took us um, exactly 12 months to find the house that we are living in. Uh -huh. My parents and I moved from Japan. Luckily, we found a flat to rent. Um, my sister's friend let us her flat that she wasn't using. Mm -hmm. So, but we were stuck there for 12 months. Yeah. Yes, I'm and, hoping it won't be 12 months. To and the joy of finding at the end of 12 months. Yeah. Oh, my God. But we found the right house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, this is what I'm holding on to that um, I can you know, and if, if push come to shove, my, my brother might have some building work done at some point and I may have to move out, but hopefully that won't be until next spring. So I'm hoping I'll have found a house by then. Otherwise, I'll have to take my stuff out of store and rent somewhere. Um, I mean, what I think might be once everything opens up, I shall try and join some some communities up here. So at least I start to get to know some people. I think that would help. Um, but tell me, what was the inspiration you had? So what would you like to do when you once you find a house? Um, I want to do retreats. Um, uh, that th there'll be a mixture of things. It'll be, uh, it'll be finding your voice. So some of the workshops will be for actors around voice work and mindfulness and self compassion and things like that. Some of them will be for non actors around the same kind of thing, and some of them will be for voice coaches who oh, want to develop their own voices and also want to develop their teaching and then I'm also training as a calling in the one coach uh, which is about finding your partner well it's not it's really about calling in yourself it's really about calling in a relationship with yourself in order to find a relationship with somebody um, so I'm training I'll qualify in, in um, June so um, it can either be done as a seven week course or it can be done as a three-day intensive and I would like to do that so there's a mixture of things that I want to do. Um, and it, I, I, you know, and I, I'm not planning to massively, you know, I may only do 10, 10 weekend workshops a year. Um, and I also want to set up a, a global membership site um, with all this kind of work on it. And really I, I have huge, huge thing about access and making, um, making the work accessible because there's a lot of workshops and retreats out there that are very expensive and basically unless you're quite wealthy you can't do them so i i want to find a way of um making things accessible to people 
uh, while at the same time, you know, um, being able to have a secure um, living for myself. So those, those are my goals and that eventually I will, um, you know, really not be working in London anymore and um, that I will be up here and I will spend the rest of the time walking with my dog and with a partner, hopefully. <laughs> so that's what I want to get a dog. But at the moment, I can't get a dog because I, I you know, I'm still going to be traveling. So, Do you think you might do some directing because uh, possibly, that's also your passion isn't it possibly possibly yes um i've got um i'm uh, uh, some friends and i have been working with a, a wonderful uh writing coach and i've written myself i've written a show um for myself and um i have two friends who who've written shows so i'm working with them on their shows and there's some colleges up here that i might approach about directing yeah um so yes, that's also possible. Yeah. What sort of a director would you be? I mean, what what would you do differently? From what? From from run of the mill directors. I mean, maybe that's it's, it's not fair to call them run of the mill. But I mean, no, it's not. I hear about text connecting with text, and you. I I think the difference, different. the difference between uh, you know uh, my strengths are working with actors and enabling actors. That's my strength. Yeah. And I think where perhaps I'm not so strong or maybe I'm being hard on myself is the vision and conception of the whole. Whereas um, that's often the strength and what people get employed on is, is their vision, their interpretation of a piece or their vision of a piece. Um, and... Um, yeah so that's I suppose the difference and that's why I mean it works well at Regent's Park because um, Tim Sheeda who runs Regent's Park for whom I have huge huge unending admiration is just so wonderful conceptually and and in a way that you know excites me and and, and grows me and challenges me and you know we do form a very good partnership because he values my skills um and when we're working on shows together, they 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 benefit from from that. Um, and I certainly, yeah. So and I, I I think I, um, I I'm not kind of like a a career director. I think I'm more interested in theatre in terms of healing stories. So that yes, there's a, actually there's another somebody else I might be working with who's who's written an amazing show. Um, and so at the minute, I'm interested in, in one woman shows and working with, you know, women finding their voices. Um, um, and, you know, with doing my own show, which is where me finding my own voice and um, or finding my own voice more. So, um, yeah, I think and I think I think that might open up for me, but I'm just just in a little bit of a limbo at the moment because I mean I, I I could get the membership started but so much of my energy is going on trying to find a house that it's really difficult to do anything else plus I'm finishing this training for this course which is pretty full-on so. <laughs> um yeah I just have to keep I think I have one of the things I'm planning to do is go out on longer and longer and longer walks because I remember um is it Jess Butterworth 
oh gosh, can, can I cannot not remember his surname? The wonderful writer who wrote The Ferryman and um, uh, Jerusalem. Who is that? Yes, Jez Butterworth, that's right. Um, well, I remember Jez saying that when he moved to Dart, I think Dartmoor or somewhere like that, and he started walking and walking and walking, that it really changed his, changed things for him. And I, I, I that's, that's the one thing about which I am 100% clear about is that I, you know, I, I, and became very clear in lockdown that I need nature. And I, in lockdown, I didn't have a car in London. I hadn't driven for 11 years. So getting a car again, I was, <laughs> I was terrified when I first got in the car again. And I'm still really frightened. There's a big road I have to join to get to the station and, and, and joining it and is, is scary. Um, but I'm loving having a car again. And I'm so looking forward when this lockdown is over to being able to go to the sea and work on the beach. So I think I just have to walk a lot and let the universe bring everything else to me. Can you tell us something about um, the, the calling on one, is it? Because it's uh, calling in the one, yeah. yeah. Because I'd like to find, I'm, I'm in search of romance too. <laughs> and I feel I'm ready now than I've ever been. Because well, yeah. then, then get the book. Goes <laughs> 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 what I was saying. You'll be coaching that too. Yes, I will be coaching. Yes, that. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just not sure whether I'm allowed to. I, but I, I mean, we're not. We're not really meant to coach friends or people we know well. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what it is is a seven week, um, uh, seven week, uh, um, oh, program, I suppose, um, written by Catherine Woodward Thomas, who also wrote um, Conscious Uncoupling, yeah. which was made very famous by Gwyneth Paltrow. So yeah. and um, it's based on her own experiences, and it looks at um, it really goes through a process of, of of moving you out of victim status and um, learning to see yourself as the source of the patterns in your life, mm -hmm. and take responsibility and to clear up to let go of old resentments, to let go of old agreements, um, to resolve toxic ties. Um, and to really get in touch with your feelings and needs and being able to express those feelings and needs, getting, uh, identifying false love identities and, and, um, and then creating power statements to cut across them. So I, I realized that I had a false love identity, which was I am alone. Um, and these come in matrixes of I am, others are, the life is, you know, that, that because I had an ill mother and I was an only child at that point, that there was a kind of, I'm, I'm, um, I'm alone. Others are, um, you know, others aren't there for me. Life isn't there for me, which I've had. And of, of course, when you, when you have a pattern like that, you tend to generate that happening. You don't ask for help. You don't realize that helps there. You don't see the truth of how things are, you know, and I realized, again, it was coming up a few weeks ago when I lost the last house, uh, the very last minute I, I lost the house I was going to, you know, that I was due to move into within a week. Um, and I could hear myself go, oh, yeah, things never work out for me. And you're like, OK, that's not a helpful belief, you know, and having to shift to a power statement of, you know, I'm 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 lucky in life. I'm really lucky to kind of 
cut through the old story and have a new story. Having problems holding on to the new story at the moment, but, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah. So, um, so those things are going to help us find the right partner. Yes, because, um, yes, yes. Um, so, um, yes, they will help you. Sorry, I just had a, 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 a message came in. Sorry. Uh, they, no, sorry. Yes, they do help you because, um, because you're clearing up beliefs about yourself and beliefs about the world, which is stopping you from being able to, to, to find somebody who would work for you. Yeah. Okay. Right. And uh, thank you very much, Barbara. I think um, I've taken more than, my, more than enough of your time. So but it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And um, can I say in conclusion that, um, you know, um, um, well, I mean, what for me sets you apart from other great voice coaches is that is your humanity, really. Because when I first contacted you after reading your book, Finding Your Voice, you know, you'd, I mean, <laughs> we've never met, I emailed you and, and uh, you responded and said, yeah, come, come and have you come and ha have a few lessons. And mm -hmm. you treated me like you might treat Daniel Radcliffe, I think. Yeah, you took me as serious as you would performing yeah. actors. Yes, of so course. That in itself is so um, I don't know empowering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but for me, you see, the only criteria for somebody me working with somebody is that they want to grow, and that they yeah. have a passion. That's the criteria. That they yeah. want to grow and they have a passion, you know. Yeah, but training me doesn't help you with your career, whereas training Ra Daniel Radcliffe or Jude Law does a thousand times. Who, who says? Who says what helps me with my career? You know, who, who says? You know, um, you, you never know. I mean, and, uh, uh, people recommend people. And, you know, I, I mean, I, for me, it's the joy of the work. And, um, you know, the thing that's great about Dan and Jude is the same thing that's great about you. They're curious and they want to grow. That's, that's who I'm interested in working in. That's the criteria. They're curious and they want to grow because that's what's important to me. You know, I, I don't really want to pussyfoot around famous people whose egos might need to be massaged. You know, that, that is, and that is so not the case with Dan and Jude. They, they, they want to grow. They want to grow as much as they can. And um, that's what's exciting about working with them. In and the same you... way as it is with you, because that's what you <laughs> want to do. No different. And you're growing, you're evolving. And uh, you yeah. know, after a couple of lessons 10 years ago, you know, quite by chance, I ended up in your workshop um, two years ago. I was just impressed to see how much, how bigger and how deeper your skills are and your approach to voice training is so um yeah i'm really looking forward to um you you know starting your retreat center in york and i'm <laughs> sure i'm sure it won't be long before you find the right yes well that's I, all you need isn't it yes i mean it is and i mean i 
it's always the same, isn't it? That once once you find it, you're like, oh, oh great. But it's just while you're waiting, it, it's keeping faith. That's that's it's keeping faith when you haven't got any evidence that it's going to work out is the big is the big um, is the important thing. Just keeping faith. And the only missing piece at the moment is a house, is it? Yeah, I mean, m- making friends up here is the, and finding a partner are the other missing pieces, but um, they'll come. Yeah, I mean, as 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 the coronavirus, as the COVID restrictions <laughs> ease up, I I will I can at least start on the community journey and maybe a partner journey, but um, they are a little bit more things I can influence than <laughs> than the house. The house I just have to wait. So it's, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you, Barbara. Thank you. My pleasure. Very much. Thank you very much. See you again soon. Thank you. Okay, take care. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye.